This episode is brought to you by VinSmart. Need help with your recall campaigns? DMVs, government agencies, fleet owners can learn more by visiting vinsmart.com slash businesses or call 1-888-950-9550. Welcome to AmbaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Amva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AmbaCast. This week, we are taking a dive into a new capability of one of Amva's technology platforms that can modernize and change the way driver licensing and driver licensing information is shared across jurisdiction lines. And what I'm talking about is a capability called the Driver History Record, DHR. And by the end of this episode, you'll know what that means, because I am joined by Christina Boardman, the Administrator for the Wisconsin Division of Motor Vehicles, and Lafie Jordan, who is a Business Solutions Architect with AMVA. Uh, Lafie, welcome to your first time on the AMVACAS, and Christina, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Christina, tell us at the outset, you know, driver history record is actually a capability of the state-to-state verification service, uh, but it's a specific module that's being added to the state-to-state verification service. From the jurisdiction's perspective, what was the need that made members say, we, we need a solution to this part of the equation? Let's start with what the need is, and then we can start explaining how this solution is going to work. Um, I think jurisdictions have really had this need for so long, and it's not just one, it's many. So the driver history record allows jurisdictions to communicate with each other about their non-commercial drivers. So we have long had this excellent platform where we can exchange information about our CDL drivers and their driver history record and what happens both in their state of residence and out of state and being able to do that communication. State to state um, allowed us to put our pointers onto the system um, to designate our non-commercial drivers, but this driver history record will now allow us to communicate jurisdiction to jurisdiction about those out-of-state convictions or withdrawals that happen regarding one's driver history, which in turn should have a very positive impact on driver safety. Now, Lofi, we talk about this in terms of an expansion and additional capability of state to state. Where is the line between the two? When we look at the the platforms holistically, uh, state to state in its name, would someone infer we're already passing that information between one state to another? But in fact, that has a specific definition and then DHR is broader. Can you help illustrate the differences there? Certainly. So the existing functionality in state-to-state available for non-sidless pointers as far as driver history is concerned is that driver history follows the person if the person moves technically so if i have a record for a person in one state that person moves to a different state the transaction the system transaction that changes ownership of that pointer also involves transfer of the driver history from one state to another. So that happens when a person moves from one state to another. Um, There's some limitations to that. The first one is that the state receiving that information doesn't have to retain it. 
currently. Um, the other limitation is that that record only follows you when you move, when you incur new driver history, when I get a new conviction or a withdrawal out of state, there's no way for the state that administers that, the state of conviction or the state of withdrawal, to send it to the state of record other than by paper. So what the DHR functionality that we're now adding to state to state does is on a technical level, enabling a state that has an out of state conviction or withdrawal for a person to electronically send that to the actual state of record. So it, it augments the existing mechanism for transferring driver history when I move with the ability to send new information. Another requirement of joining this, the, the DHR functionality is that as a state of record, you are now required to maintain driver history received from other states. You don't have to act on it, but you have to retain it in the driver history so that each driver now has one single source of all your driver related history. In, in state to state, as we have it today, the purpose is really to track credentials. When we add DHR, we're going beyond credentials and now we're looking at driver record. So the credential is not the base thing that we're tracking anymore. We don't change the tracking that we do, but it moves to really tracking your driver record, um, which is not the same as, as your credential. Uh, hence, as was mentioned earlier, we now also have on the system the concept of a no credential history pointer. So it's a pointer for a person that doesn't have a credential, but only has driver history. Um, so it's it's interesting and, and, and it's not really the same as tracking a person because as a person, I can still have more than one pointer, but I can have only one pointer that has driver history. So, so that's what the system helps um, track and point out if that is not the case so it can be resolved. So, so to be clear with the baseline of state to state, when someone moves from one state to another state, that transfer of that individual's driver record would go to the new state. And what DHR now, is, now allows is when one of your drivers, in Christina's case, if I'm a Wisconsin licensed driver, but I receive a conviction outside of Wisconsin, they can now use if Wisconsin and that state where I receive the conviction is using the DHR capability, they can now send that information to Wisconsin in this case to put on my driver record. Correct. And Wisconsin is required to put it on and to maintain it there. That's one of the rules of participating in DHR. So I guess, uh, Christina, how does it work now without this capability? Well, states have, we still have responsibilities to communicate with each other, but it is very paper-based and it is a manual process. So while we have courts that are connected to our system, so we know when someone has been convicted of something in our state, whether they're a Wisconsin driver or an out-of-state driver, um, the process currently is if, well, 
we'll create a notice of conviction that prints off on the printer. We put it in an envelope and we send it to another state. So for reference, every day we send to Illinois 200 to 300 citations for Illinois drivers that um, are receiving a conviction in Wisconsin. And the, really the best part of this is that you know, when both of those states are connected, um, we will be able to, upon notice of issuance or upon notice of conviction from that court, we can immediately share that information for the other states so that they can in turn um, take action if that's um, how they respond to that information. So um, rather than waiting things for print to mail, for them to open it, to you know, move it to the top of their pile to take the action. And we have some expectations on how quickly those things occur. This will help so much to um, minimize that data duplication that's out there and really streamline the process um, and really be much more efficient um, for both jurisdictions. And Wolf, well, you mentioned that this is now, and uh, Christine, you mentioned it as well, it's focused on non-commercial drivers. And it's not because we aren't including commercial drivers, it's because there's already a solution in place that we're sort of mimicking. Can you explain that, that Luffy, and how this does match and where it may be different from what exists on commercial drivers? Certainly. <clears throat> At a technical level, the system transaction that will be used or is used under DHR to share conviction or to send conviction and withdrawal information is exactly the same set of transactions used for CFS purposes. So we just took the existing transactions used for CFS purposes and we enhanced them to accommodate transmission of conviction and withdrawal for non-CDL individuals. So that's exactly the same. Um, the, uh, the, the, one of the differences though is when a state receives the information, they don't have to retain the information for the same period of time. Um, for the non-CDL, the requirement is slightly less than for the CDL. So the state can decide to keep it the non-CDL as long as the CDL says it, so they don't have different rules, uh, but that is a difference between the two. But it's more an operational difference. On the technical mm -hmm. side, it's exactly the same transaction that, transactions that, that can be used. Christina, I guess one of the other differences would be on the CDL side with federal rules, there's more consistency as to what's an infraction in one state is likely treated as an infraction in another state. On the non-CDL side, when you're receiving convictions uh, from other states, your state laws may be different. They may either not treat it as seriously, or maybe they treat it more seriously as the place where that driver was convicted. So how, what do you do with that information when you, when you receive it? And the, the follow-up question is, does DHR automate any of that for you, or is that still going to be a manual process where you're going to receive it and figure out how your state is going to treat it? The important part is, yes, FMCSA makes up the rules for all CDL drivers, and we're all playing by the same rules. So it's really easy to build a system where we all have those shared rules. Um, it is very different for non-commercial drivers because states um, pass their own laws on, on how they want certain convictions to be handled with regards to the driving record. Um, there are some significant, serious, major violations um, regarding, um, you know, whether it's driving under the influence that 
many states are um, the same in how they treat those issues, especially if they're a member of the driver license compact. So we do have a common understanding on some of the major um, convictions um, that is out there in, in wanting to take those actions within the states. But you're, you're absolutely right. There's a number of other issues um, that one state may handle much more seriously. Um, it may be a withdrawal in one state while it is not in another state. Um, but through the sharing of these records, um, we can take that action um, how we would handle it in our own state and apply those standards. And, and that was one of the kind of, when we built state to state to begin with, we know that states on the non-commercial side do have some of their own rules and, and allow certain things. And so we wanted states, while there's a kind of a basic um, requirements for the system, um, there is some flexibility in there for states to use it and apply it um, based on their own laws. Hopefully I answered that question. So I'd, I'd like to follow up on that, uh, pointing out that the, at a system level, we standardize the exchange of information. So um, we use the same set of ACD codes, the Ember Code Dictionary codes for convictions and withdrawals that we use on the SIDLIS side. So one state sends information to another state and the receiving state understands what it means. It's then up to the receiving state to decide how they're going to act on it. DHR in itself doesn't tell the receiving state how to act on it. It's sort of analogous to some extent to withdrawals in SIDLIS. Um, the FMCSA rules require you to send the withdrawal. Um, when you receive the withdrawal, you don't have to act on it, but you have to add, add it to the driver record. Um, same with convictions in the case of non-CDL drivers. Our requirements say, send it, if you get it, store it, and then act on it as your local law allows you or requires you to do. So as Wisconsin is going through the process of um, incorporating the changes on our side so that we can um, be a DHR state within state to state, we are looking at all of our data. We're making sure that we are synchronizing those ACD codes to, to match up to Wisconsin codes if there are any differences there. Um, and so that's really part of the process of preparing us to do that so that we, those codes are, are there and that when we're exchanging that information, people understand and we're all playing by the same rules on those particular codes. Now, when you're talking about the process of preparing to implement it, talk a little bit more about that, Christina, in terms of on the jurisdiction side, what is the lift, what are the requirements to be able to implement the DHR capability for a jurisdiction? Well, in Wisconsin, we've been a member of state to state for a few years, so we already have have that base. Um, but yes, there is work that we need to be doing, um, collaborating both on our business side and our IT side to make sure that that data is prepared um, so that we can um, load the information that is, will be required going forward. Um, so we have set up a project team. We think it's going to be about a 12-month effort, and that includes the time that we are working with um, AMVA for the testing process. So 
Um, I should say that ANVA is a, a very good partner in this in um, walking us through what is needed. And there will be um, structured tests. There will be casual testing, structured testing. We'll have a, a DHR dry run and, and bulk load four to six weeks before we're going live. So there's a number of steps there. Um, but yes, we are working through with our IT section and then you know our staff that are working with these codes on a regular basis to make sure that we um, are prepping all the data appropriately and that we are putting together these testing scenarios um, on our side so that we can understand the implementation. Luffy, explain to me a little bit about what Christina's talking about with the testing, because I think to a casual listener, when you're talking about a, a system that's going to exchange data between states, um, if Wisconsin is, say, the first to go live, do they not need a second state to test exchanging data between? They, that's a very good question. And, and yes, they do. And that's why our test um, group, um, our, our QA group, has the means to set up something that looks like a different state so that in our mm -hmm. test environment, we can do exactly what you just said, is to test between states at different implementation levels because we don't have only states that are doing DHR and states that are not doing DHR. We also have service-only states and we have various um, implementation levels between those various states. So when we do the QA, we take a new state that does something new and we test them against all the other implementation levels on which a state can possibly be. But if you're a SIDLIS only state, is there, uh, can you participate in DHR? Do you first have to be a state to state participant for then DHR to sit on top of it? Yes, you're absolutely right. For the actual exchange of information, um, you have to have two DHR states. And we want to make sure that if a DHR state tries to send something to a non-DHR state, that the system um, handles that gracefully to say, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, so just by way of making sure the system behaves like it should, regardless of who I'm trying to send data to, um, we have to do all those kinds of, uh, cover all those com combinations in, in the testing. Because in the case of, again, using Wisconsin as an example, if they try to send a message to a non-DHR jurisdiction, they're going to want to know that it's not able to be received. And then I would assume, Christina, you would have to revert to your current method of sending that information. Yes, I think we'll need to know state by state who we're working with and, and, and have that information accordingly. But there are, as a, a DHR state, you know, when we get that information, like Lafi said, we will be keeping that information. Um, another thing is, as a state, um, a driver history record state, we do have some visibility of what's known as non-credential history pointers. So if someone maybe has a, a bad driving history, but they did not, they are not necessarily associated with a credential or a specific license, we do want the system is set up so that we can still track those issues. So if they go on to, to get a credential or try to apply for a credential, we are um, keeping track of all that driver history as well. So let's talk a little bit more about that concept there, because it really gets to the heart of why this matters. You know, we've been talking a lot about the technology, the efficiency, the fact moving away from paper. But at the end of the day, this 
could have a promising impact on safety and keeping unsafe drivers off the road or getting an unsafe driver off the road faster than maybe they were previously. What does the vision of that look like to you, Christina, when you sit from a jurisdiction and trying to keep your road safe perspective? Oh, I think it's so important. Um, People are driving all the time and um, they're driving long distances. They're not just driving in your state. And so it is so important to know those things because some of that driving behavior, um, if you don't catch it and take action on that license right away, um, they could go on and um, remain licensed driving on the roads without those same ramifications. Granted, you take away someone's license, sometimes they do continue to drive. But I think um, all states, especially these severe major violations um, where not only is the driver themselves impacted, but, you know, really a danger to all those others on that shared roadway system. We want to make sure that we know about those issues right away so that we can revoke, withdraw that that driving credential um, and that all states are are understand those requirements and people move all of the time they're moving they apply for a state anyone who's moved if you've applied for a driver's license in the next state it's not that hard of a process but there are some systems that we are checking behind the scenes to make sure that there is not a problem driver status or that there's some outstanding issue so um, it's it's essential that as states we are working together um, so that you can't hide from your driving history and that it is going to follow you um, and so that we can all um, take those actions to hopefully change one's behavior and improve um, driver safety. And so this will allow that to happen quicker, more effectively, more with more data integrity, perhaps, when you're making it automated instead of a manual system, there's a higher probability that the right information about a driver and a conviction is being sent to that state. Uh, in addition, is there an automated connectivity between that piece and the customer-facing piece you're, you're talking about so that when you receive that information and it is loaded into your customer's record, um, something can happen automatically with that, that license? Yes, when you are coming to a, a DMV service counter in Wisconsin, we, we do have it set up that as you're applying, there are eligibility checks right at the counter that we are going to be presented with if there's problems. So whether something is coming back on the problem driver pointer system, or if we are seeing a match for a pointer that's held out of state, um, you know, we were so pleased with state to state with the responsibility for only having um one credential, we were able to immediately notify that other state, hey, this person has moved mm-hmm. to Wisconsin. Um, now this just takes it that step further that we can be able to send and receive convictions and withdrawals electronically, basically in real time, once we know about that information from state to state. So um, it's it's going to save money on, on those notifications, but more importantly, it will be essentially in real time amongst these participating states so that um, all of that can happen um, at the counter or if there's just a potential duplicate that we're taking care of all of those issues right away in the back office if there's anything additional we need to be checking to confirm it is indeed the same person. So there's an interesting use case for this real-time transmission of information. Um, separate 
topic, but mobile driver licenses is something that's in the news quite a bit recently. One of the challenges with a mobile driver license in an out-of-state scenario is that if I get convicted roadside of something, some egregious um, violation, today the law enforcement officer may physically take possession of my physical card. In the case of an MDL, you very well can't take the person's device. There are all kinds of problems with that. DHR now gives us the ability to immediately inform the state of record that this and this happened, enabling the state of record to immediately revoke the MDL. So we see state to state playing a central role in addressing that particular use case. Or in that case, to go a step further, that they can automatically shift that MDL to be an identity credential only and remove the exactly. driving privilege yes. that's connected with that MDL. Now, we've talked about this as being a relatively new capability. Uh, Luffy, how, how new is it and um, how many states do we have sort of lining up to, to implement it along with Wisconsin? We made the code available to state to start testing again in November of last year. Uh, and we have, I think, by last count, about six states lined up uh, to implement um, starting uh, first half of next year. So <clears throat> the, the process, the testing process, as uh, Christina explained earlier, is, is a very thorough process. Uh, and so we, we have been talking to a number of states and, as I said, about six um, looking to implement uh, starting early next year. And a, a state could either add it on if they're already a state-to-state -state participating state. If those that are still not yet on board with state-to-state, -state, um, does it have to be a staged process or is there an option for them to do it all at once? They can do it all at once. We, we in, fact, in fact, recommend, especially for states uh, coming along uh, on board a little bit further out to really consider going with a state-to-state -state plus DHR, if I can call it that, implementation uh, and skip mm -hmm. the state-to-state -state without DHR option. It's possible, um, but it makes more sense to do everything at once, we think. So, Christina, to, to start wrapping us up here, you know, you in Wisconsin made a decision early to add on DHR. You were an early adopter of state to state, so it follows naturally. Uh, for those who are trying to figure out how to fit it into their priorities and to their systems planning, what would be your message to your peers and colleagues in the other jurisdictions as they consider how to fit DHR into their project planning? Well, in Wisconsin, we did need, I mean, it is, there is a bit of a, a project here and, and we were looking for some assistance and we did go to our, our state patrol and our, our traffic safety group and said, you know, we know that there is a direct link um, with having driver history record and being able to do these efficient exchange of information regarding one's driver history. Um, there is a direct link with highway safety. Um, and so we walk through some of those scenarios with our, our highway safety group um, and and they wanted to write that into a grant that they were putting together going forward. So I think that people 
need to look, number one, if they're sending out those paper citations, how many of those are going out the door on a daily basis? And um, knowing the, the significant impact you can have on that, just looking at your surrounding states, how much um, more quickly you can be responding to those and getting that information out the door and knowing that information in real time. Um, the impact that we felt can be had on highway safety just brought this to the top of the list for us. And so we wanted to prioritize that going forward. Um, you're correct, we have been on state to state for a while. And so um, I know as being involved in these groups, we've been, we've been talking about driver history for quite some time. And when that code was made available, um, I know I drove a lot of people crazy around here about, you know, let's let's move this to the top of our, you know, now it's out there. We need to, um, if we're the first state, that's okay, but you need a state out there to do that. Um, and others will join and we will continue to magnify those benefits going forward. So I am really excited about it. I don't want to say that it's like turning the switch here. There is work to be done at mm -hmm. the state level. Um, we feel very confident generally in our, our data quality, but making sure that we are reviewing all of those things in advance. Um, but yes, partnering with others that are prioritizing highway safety and, and talking about the benefits at that level and how we're exchanging information with other states, um, it was really helpful for others to see that priority as well. Is there anything else about DHR that we haven't talked about that either one of you think is important to this conversation as jurisdictions and stakeholders and friends of the AMVA community are listening and learning about this new capability? I specifically asked the team, you know, who's who's on the project, you know, what are you most looking forward to once we, we implement this? And we expect that to be in, in March of 2022. Um, definitely number one is sending and receiving new convictions and withdrawals electronically and reducing that manual workload. Obviously, we will be saving resources, whether it's less paper, um, postage on exchanging that information. You're also going to eliminate a lot of confusion between states on, on what documents have been sent, what has been received, because you will have that tracking done electronically. So that improved reporting, the improved tracking, and really the improved accuracy and the timeliness that we will have with that conviction reporting and, and the direct impact that we feel will be had by increasing safety on Wisconsin roadways. And of course, other states as well as you're taking those actions from state to state. So. Um, yeah, we're really pleased to be going through the work and very excited to be implementing early next year. Excellent. Well, hopefully we will have you back again, talk about how DHR has grown and the success metrics we're seeing from it. Um, and certainly like so many of these systems, it's only as good as the participation in it. And so hopefully folks listening to this will make them more eager to participate and to schedule with AMVA to have the DHR added to their implementation projects. Christina, Lofi, thank you both for joining me this week to, to talk about this. I uh, want to thank all our listeners for tuning in. I want to thank our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. And for all of you out there, we'll see you back here next week on the AMVACast. Until then, stay well, everyone. Thank you for joining us for AMVACast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by Vinsmart. 
Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.